0: LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
1: Hello and welcome to the Archaeotech Podcast, episode 211. I'm your host, Chris Webster, with my co host, Paul Zimmerman. Today, we talk to Denise Argote about new techniques she's using to study archaeological sites and
0: artifacts. Let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everyone. Paul, how are you doing today? Uh, doing fine. It's a uh, nice fall weather here and I'm hoping to get <laughs> away from it <laughs> before it gets any colder. Just found <laughs> out that we want a new project in Saudi. And so it's uh, quite likely that I'm going to be heading out in a week or two to, uh, to go lead this. Hmm. It's going to be a big overhead power transmission line survey. So um, yeah, it's not mm-hmm. something I've done before, but I've done a lot of su- survey work there and I'm looking forward to getting back out in the field. How are you doing, Chris? There you go. I'm um, doing all right. Yeah, we're on our way across the country to North Carolina. We usually go
1: there for mid-November to end of December time frame to, uh, you know, visit with my wife's family for the holidays. And so we're we're currently in Alabama, but it's nice and not too hot here, which is not something you usually say about Alabama. But, no. you know, I, I was going to say, you get in that project, you're just like a typical New Yorker, wintering in Saudi Arabia. I'm telling you. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's Everybody doing it now. <laughs> Everybody's doing it.
0: You're gonna have to just get an apartment over there. Start bringing your wife over. You know, just make a time of it. So, Well, we've got we've got a house that we rent, so I don't need an apartment. But I, I am considering buying a car out there for myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well today speaking of
1: working abroad we have someone on calling from mexico today and we actually had her on back in episode 134 which we will link to in the show notes we're going to get an update on some of the things she's working on and uh maybe some new information as well so welcome to the show denise Argote. hi
2: hi chris hi paul nice to be here with you
1: glad to have you back all right (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, why don't you just start off by you know reacquainting our audience with who you are and, and what you're doing, like where you're working right now, and and just some some overall general details.
2: And well, you say already, I'm Denise Argad. Live here in Mexico. I'm an archaeologist, uh, but I also work a lot with archaeological or archaeometrical methods and techniques. I apply them to the study of archaeological sites and materials. I keep working here in Mexico City in uh, several sites. I've been working on Teotihuacan, Chichen Itza, Mitla, just to say some few of the sites that I have worked with. But I mean, all the work that we have done, me and all the colleagues that work with me, well, has been pretty, pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, so we linked to an article in this episode from the Journal of Archaeological Science. It was published in June of 2020, Designing the Underworld in Teotihuacan, Cave Detection Beneath the Moon Pyramid by ERT and ANT Surveys. And we talked to you about that on the last show. So we can reference that last that other show for if people want to know more about that. But I'm just wondering, starting with Teotihuacan, have you guys been back there since then and doing additional work? What, what kind of update can you give us on that?
2: Well, we also work on an Another area of archaeology that is portable x f- fluorescence, but this was applied to the mural paintings. We haven't been mm-hmm. working on the geophysical part. Uh, we stopped that project, but we keep on working on the other area that is geochemistry, and mm-hmm. uh, we also find very interesting things. Like I don't know if you you know cinnabar is a mineral that. Was used yeah. to paint some bodies, uh, some mm-hmm. burials, uh, and we also found that in the mural paintings, it was never been found before. In not in Teotihuacan, maybe in the Mayan area, but not in Teotihuacan. It was the first time that we found on standing mural paintings the application of this mineral. I mean, mm-hmm. if you. I mean, maybe the audience doesn't know what Cinnabar is, but it's a, mer- a mineral mm-hmm. that is made from mercury and sulfur. It is right. kind of toxic. <laughs> so <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised that uh, ancient people didn't use it often. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in, in, the kind of t- in, in the place of the Tiwakan, in some substructures, we found this mineral use uh, applied on your paintings. So that was also a really interesting find.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, actually, as soon as you mentioned cinnabar, I thought, oh, mercury. And my, and you also said on graves. Um, my only real knowledge of it is that cinnabar was found on some of the bodies at the uh, at the Royal Cemetery of Ur in Iraq. And it's presumed that it might have been used in part as a, um, as a preservative. Do you know if that's the same thing with these, uh, the Mexican graves that have Cinnabar in them?
2: Well, the Cinnabar had more um, like a cosmogonic point of view, Mm -hmm. like a worldwide Uh vision. It was not because of the preservation of the bodies. It was more related to the way that they saw Cinnabar and uh, related to the way that blood itself behaves. Why, Mm -hmm. Why is this? Because cinnabar, when it's applied and it's oxide, it gets black, obscure, Mm. dark. And Mm. blood does the same way. If you leave blood stains in in a wall (laughs) and get oxide, it also gets a little bit dark. So in this way, they relate it. Um, The color is, is red also, I mean. There are several mm-hmm. characteristics that relate Cinnabar to blood. So blood is life. Uh, blood is a, the substance that give the that all people gave to the gods to maintain and sustain life. Mm-hmm. So there are several magical associations, religious associations, and that was the motive that they used Cinnabar to apply to the boreals and some other materials. We also found Cinnabar in, Ch- in Chichen Itza. There is also an article we published in 2017 about a sculpture that is inside the castle. The castle is the greatest pyramid in Chichen Itza, also mm-hmm. known as the Kokolkan Temple. Inside of it, there is a nation substruct- yeah, substructure, another, an older uh, pyramid, And inside this pyramid, there is a temple. Inside the temple, there are two sculptures, a chakmol and a jaguar throne. This throne is painted in red, and this red painting is cinnabar and emative. So there's also another association of this mineral to something that is not human remains, not burials, not bones. Hmm.
0: And how how did you find it on the uh, on the murals?
2: With portable X ray fluorescence, this use of new technologies to the study of archaeological sites and materials has been developing a lot in the last twenty years. And one mm-hmm. of, the, of these developments are uh, portable instruments. X ray fluorescence make us analyze several several materials. You can. Do sculptures, you can do obsidian, you can do bones, you can do moral paintings, a lot, a lot of analysis that you can do with that. And what we obtain is the chemical composition of that material you're analyzing. In this case, moral paintings. We also analyze the jaguar trunk with the same instrument, and we are also applying it to provenance studies of obsidian materials.
1: I'm just wondering, you know, this is the ArcheoTech podcast, so we like to, you know, expose our listeners to technology they may not have used or or explain the use a little bit. So I'm curious about the portable XRF, which we I know we've talked about on the show before and has and actually been around for a little while. But can you give us some idea as to the practical application of using xrf like does it you know have certain conditions that it works better in you know how, how long does the battery last <laughs> for
3: example <laughs>
1: i mean you're going out possibly in the middle of nowhere do you have to bring extra power sources i mean i don't, I don't know anything about, i've never used one so just some practical uses of it what are some of the considerations
2: well this instrument is really practical because it looks like uh Laser gun, actually, (laughs) many of my colleagues play with it. Anyway, that's (laughs) something. And you can take it anywhere. I mean, you use uh, portable batteries, too. You just switch them like any instrument that uses lithium batteries. So it's really practical to take it anywhere. You don't need any special preparation of the materials maybe a little bit of cleaning with a brush, a soft brush or something like that. But you just can point at your material and just shoot practically. It also has a trigger, so it looks like a a pistol.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. Great. So you can take it anywhere where you normally take your ray gun.
2: Exactly. It. <laughs> I mean, it, we have uh, analyzed some morals in the ceilings, some paintings in the ceilings of very tall Mayan buildings. And I mean, believe it, if you have any bigger, heavier instrument, you could not take it up. Uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. with this pistol, you just go and shoot all, all, the, all the wall. <laughs> And you don't damage anything. It's non-destructive, non-alterating, non invasive instruments.
1: Nice. So if they make a modern Indiana Jones movie or Laura Croft or something and won't have a pistol on their on their hip, they'll have a portable XRF, right?
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you can see if your enemy is made of any uh, contaminated material. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice. So uh, nice. the data that you get back from that, I'm presuming that you have to uh, process it in some form. What, what what do you get directly back from the, the, the XRF ray gun?
2: Well, you have two informations, qualitative and a quantitative information. In the qualitative, you get a, a spectra or a spectrum if you're analyzing just one artifact, and a spectra of all the Chemical elements that compose your your sample. Mm-hmm. And then you can make a, a linear regression using some standards and traduce, converse, convert this spectra into quantities that could be percentages or part per million, depending on the element. Mm-hmm. So you got the quantitative part. Of course, the spectra, you can see it, and and for example, in the case of Cinnabar, you only need to see the two elements, the two main elements that compose Cinnabar, that is sulfur and mercury. If you have these two elements in the spectra, then you know you have Cinnabar. But for example, in the case of obsidian, when we want to know where the, the raw materials come from, we need to process this spectra converted to quantities and then statistically process them to make groups and then to know where these artifacts that we found in the main area uh, where the raw materials come, come from, came from. Okay. You know, so there are the two parts. Depends on the objective you have, what is the mm-hmm. use that you want to make of the, the information when you have this objective real clear, then you can know how to process the data and how to use your instrument too.
1: Okay. All right, awesome. Thanks for that explanation. With that, we are gonna take a break and come back on the other side and continue this discussion with Denise Argote. back in a minute.
4: Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Welcome back to the
1: Architect Podcast, episode 211. That's a lot of podcasts. Yeah. (laughs) Every time I look at that number, Paul. (laughs) Anyway, I think I subconsciously didn't know we were podcasting that high because when I created the link for our show last week, it was like, I think I did 210 or 110 accidentally, like subconsciously. I'm like, there's no way we can be in the 200s. But anyway, there we are. So go back and listen to the back catalog. There's many years worth of things there. All right. So. One of the things that brought you into this podcast was discussing, you know, new technologies and methodologies applied to the study of archaeological sites and artifacts. And I know you mentioned you've worked in uh, Chichen Itza most recently, not leaving Teotihuacan just now. Or maybe we are. If you want to talk about Chichen Itza, that's fine. But I'm really interested in what some of these perhaps newer things are. Like XRF is something that I would say not everybody uses, but it has been around for a little while. It's just, you know. It's just not an instrument not everybody has purchased, right, that, that they have. But it's the kind of thing that, that everybody probably knows about, at least to some degree. Is there anything that you're using in the last couple of years that maybe is a little bit on the, on the fringe or on the cutting edge and, and not too many people are using it as well?
2: Well, I don't know if you know about geophysics. has also been applied, I believe, in the last decade. Well, hmm. at least here in Mexico, maybe in some other places, it has been longer here in Mexico Mm -hmm. in the last uh, decade it has been a a really good development of all these instruments and the application of them in in the study of archaeological sites. We have applied them in Teotihuacan, as you already said uh, in this article of the Journal of Archaeological Science. We have applied them in Chichen Itza, that is also a great Mm. site. We are recently applying it in Mitla is an archeological site in Oaxaca. Oaxaca is one of the greatest cultures that also lived here in Mexico in in ancient times. And we had really good discoveries around all these places. I mean, in, in Teotihuacan, we found this cave beneath the moon pyramid. And as we can see by the data, it is a natural cave that tell us that is the only natural cave above which there was a built a pyramid in the hmm. Quetzalcoatl pyramid and the Sun pyramid. There are all artificial mm-hmm. caves. Only in the Moon pyramid is a natural cave. What does mm-hmm. this information tell us is that probably this cave was the focal point for the the whole design of the city is like oh. we are. This is the starting point for the design. It's actually the the only fixed point in all the Avenue of the Dead. Oh. So okay. it is really important data because regarding this discovery, we can have a lot of conclusions or interpretations about what the ancient people thought what they use to design the city to trace this ancient city and to Mm -hmm. decide how it was going to be how it was going to be built so i believe that is a really great discovery
1: yeah i'm curious about that natural cave that was found and and that being kind of the basis and the and the earliest part of the part of the building and construction on the site. What other evidence do you guys have that's correlating that? What evidence do you have that's showing that this is the earliest, the earliest you know, I don't know occupation, but building period, I guess.
2: Well, of course, there are several. All well, other archaeologists that have made excavations inside the pyramid, and they found really all the uh, stages of the construction. There are several, seven stages that have been found only for the mm-hmm. construction of this pyramid. I mean, the cave had not been excavated yet. We are trying to convince some authorities to do so, at <laughs> least to give mm-hmm. us a little bit of money to do that. But in the meanwhile, <laughs> we only have the information that we extracted by these uh, archaeological, archeometrical means. So, yeah. uh, besides that is, is what we have. I mean, the other two caves that have been discovered are artificial. I mean, think of it. If you have three great pyramids two, of, the three of them have caves beneath two of them are artificial and one of them is natural. What would you think about?
0: Hmm. Sounds like, uh, they're part of a complex. Right. Between the pyramid and the cave going together Mm -hmm. in their cosmology, in some sense.
2: Exactly. The uh, caves, pyramids and mountains are really Mm. important features in the cosmogony of pre-Hispanic people. They made an axis, you know, that the universe in ancient times, well, they thought that way, was divided in four portions. And in the center was the fifth Portion. The center was the axe that unifies uh, the infra world, the underworld, the superficial world, the terrenal world, and the divine world. And this axe was in the middle of the pyramids. So if you have the underworld, the pyramid, and then the sky, you have an axe that links all these three planes.
1: Hmm, okay. Do these caves intersect? I can't remember if you said that or not. Are they? Is it like a network of caves, or are they separate amongst the uh, in separate. the area? There They're separate? Are separate. Okay.
2: Yeah. Only linked to the pyramid that they are beneath.
1: Ah. Uh, okay. Okay. Awesome. Wow. That's really cool. So these caves have been explored. They just haven't been excavated. Is that what? Is that right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Okay. Oh, there's the um, Kukulcans. Well, Quetzalcoatl. I, I mean, because Kukulcan is in the Mayan area. Este Kukulcans is. Another temple that also have a cave, well, this, in this case, uh, partially filled with water in the Chichen Itza site, mm. and it has the same meaning, right? The unification mm-hmm. of the three planes, the underworld, the terrestrial world, and the divine world. I
3: mean, mm-hmm. there are okay.
2: several examples in Mesoamerican sites. That have these elements uh, in in their in their cities, so there is some pattern in the worldview of these ancient civilizations.
0: Right. Yeah. So when we spoke to you last three years ago, when you were talking about this, I remember being really kind of blown away by the discussion of ERT and ANT and how you were finding how you'd found these caves and the three D modeling of them non invasively or basically non-invasively from uh, sensors outside. It's been kind of a touchstone, something I think about actually (laughs) fairly regularly for some reason when I'm thinking about, you know, the 211 episodes of this (laughs) podcast. (laughs) And I was wondering, because I was considering, you know, reaching out to you separately, but I'm so glad that you're here anyhow. What other kinds of geophysical techniques have you been pioneering, experimenting with, using lately? Because this one here was, uh, you know, the ERT and ANT, when you first told us about it, was absolutely new to me. And novel, never heard of anything like it before. And was, like I said, was blown away by what you were able to find using them.
2: Well, ERT is uh, a little bit more common. Mm-hmm. case in, in Chichen Itza, uh, five years before, we used it also to find the cars beneath the Kukulkan Pyramid. We also use them in other small sites in Tlaxcala and Hidalgo and some other states here in Mexico. Radar mm-hmm. is also very common. I'm sure you have uh, heard of it because yeah. it's like the most common geophysical instrument that is uh, has been used in a lot of colleagues around the world. And we are also using it in all the sites. You know, it is really important to, well, I believe so, to use more than just one instrument when you are dealing with an archaeological site. Because like in the case of... Um, ERT gives you a high value resistance anomaly. But you can interpret it like hard rock or like a, or like a void. So how are you going to, differ, to discriminate between these two very different materials when you use another, a second technique that mm. gives you insights of Oh, it is a low-velocity anomaly, so it is a void, not, not hard rock, you know? So mm-hmm. using more than one just technique is better, because it gives you more information of what you are dealing with, what you are finding, right? So ant is a seismic noise. is really new, new in the case of archaeological studies. We are also using it now in, in Mitla, in this Oaxaca archaeological site. Uh, hmm. We're also getting really good information. For example, Mitla is a site that its name says means the the place of the dead. But very few tombs have been found there. So, Why was it called the place of the dead if you only have like two or three tombs, right? Mm -hmm. So there is an ancient legend that says that beneath the Spanish church was a a cave system where the ancient Zapotec people buried their governance, the kings and all their big authorities. But it was—it has never been found. So, yeah. was it real or is just a legend? So, mm. we applied ERT and ANT to search beneath the church, and actually, we found some caves beneath the church. So, it seems more like a real thing than a legend. And it's also a good discovery because that explains the name of the city. It mm. is the, the place of the dead because all the important high rank authorities were inside these dumps, inside these mm. places, for real places.
1: Okay. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I love being able to, you know, take a a place name like that, right? And then, you know, kind of look for the significance behind that. Um, it reminded me, It's when you said Mila, it sounded familiar to me, and I had to look it up. We covered a story about that on episode 225 of The Archaeology Show, which came out on July 9th of actually this year. So um, the article was called The Back Door to Hell. That's, <laughs> that's what they <laughs> called it. <laughs> so, it was very dramatic because it was an article, a news article. But Yeah. All right. Well, let's take a break. And when we come back, we will wrap up this discussion with Denise Smargetay back in a minute.
4: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every
3: time. And if you love the filet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
4: Ba da ba ba ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then, there are drinks from McDonald's.
3: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for a $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
4: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the
1: ArcheoTech Podcast, episode 211. And let's shift gears a little bit. So you mentioned Chichen Itza. What have you guys been doing over in Chichen Itza? Because Chichen Itza is one of those places that... I feel like just about everyone's heard of like the pyramids of Giza or something like that. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> it sounds like one of those places everybody's known about. So what, what new research is being done? What, un, what an, unanswered questions are you guys looking at in that area?
2: Well, after the 2014 and 2015 discovery that we made with ERT, uh, mm-hmm. we have been working also with archeological materials, the structures, moral paintings with uh, portable fluorescence, and uh, in the former two years in the last two years we made another project we are working another another project using radar hmm. to analyze all the all the plaza there is a really big plaza that is around the Kukulkan Temple okay. It's around Mm. 10,000 square kilometers. So it took us around 10 days working sun to sun. (laughs) That (laughs) was really hard because it's really hot in there.
1: Oh,
0: yeah.
2: (laughs) uh, But I mean, 10 days working to sweep all the plaza and the ball game to see what's beneath. Hmm. You know, uh, Chichen Itza also has several construction stages. Chichen Itza is a site that were built around 650 before after Christ and was uh, abandoned around maybe 10, 10, 11, 1100 okay. after Christ. So it has around 500 years of settlements. So right. the last one that the one that we can see currently is the last stage. But there is a 500 year history beneath this <laughs> plaza. Mm-hmm. You know. So uh, we occur to to use radar to see what's beneath it. And we found uh, two previous stages of uh, the construction of this plaza. It was really small in the beginning and grew over time to get the size that we can now see. So hmm. it's, it's also interesting because it tells you about the history of this settlement.
1: Did the, just a little bit about Chichen Itza here, did the Function of Chichen Itza changed through time. Can you tell that in the archaeological record?
2: Well, in, in the beginning, it was also a ceremonial, uh, a ceremonial site, at least in the the center part. But it mm-hmm. was also high rank settlement. There were several palaces in what we know as the old Chichen Itza, that is okay. south of the site, like two kilometers south of the Kukulkan pyramid. Mm-hmm. So there were also several colonies. Well small areas that were occupied by different rulers. It's mm-hmm. a very complex city because you have a, a very cosmopolitan area with people coming from several sides of the, the Mayan area. It has the people it had people from Oshmal, people from Mayapan people from the center of Mexico that were communicating and interrelating with mm-hmm. the Chichen Itza people is very complex. It's very similar to Teotihuacan. You know, Teotihuacan mm-hmm. is also a very cosmopolitan city that that welcome people from all around the, the Mesoamerican area. In this case, Chichen Itza also had the influence of several cultures, Central Mexico cultures, and mayan cultures so this gave uh, this this bloom of the of the culture of the chichen Itza culture
1: okay wow and when, when did you guys work out there last for me.
2: the last time we went is it uh, was in may i I, okay. I am preparing the report of the the last <laughs> town we made still working on the report. I mean, because you yeah. I mean it is hard work to go to the field and make the prospection, but it's a lot longer to process the data, to make sense of it, to try and apply different filters, to enhance the features, the features that you are finding, and then to write a report that makes sense to other people that do not manage this kind of information of or techniques, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's it's a long, a long project, a long work.
1: Yeah, I know you're still in the process of writing the report, but is there anything you can disclose that uh, were some insights or revelations based on the research you guys did?
2: Well, in the case of the ball game, we know that it extended longer than it seems. That is currently seen. We also find hmm. a small structure near the, the ballgame inside the plaza, but almost in front of the ballgame that you cannot see actually or currently. Mm-hmm. We also find two stages of the construction of the plaza. And mm. we believe that we might found near the pyramid, in, near the, the circuses some areas with some... Burials, but we don't know if hmm. they are human remains or maybe just some gifts for the gods.
1: Hmm. Okay.
2: So, I mean, right. there's still a lot to work with, but these are some things that we not, that we cannot see just by walking around the <laughs>
0: Right, <laughs> Of course. So, uh, Denise, so you, you're obviously working all over Mexico and have worked all over Mexico on a variety of different sites with a variety of different geophysical techniques. Is there something new, a new project that you haven't yet started, or maybe some new technique that you're hoping to uh, to test out sometime in the near future?
2: Well, we're trying to build a lab in in the area of Chichen Itza. It's still a project that's going on, but we... Want to implement several technologies to the archaeological study. That is maybe X-ray diffraction, a Raman, laser Raman. I don't know if you you know Raman spectrometry.
0: Hmm. Uh, a, no, I'm not familiar
2: with it. Well, it's a laser that is beamed to some artifacts or even walls or any solid material, and it can give you the mineral that compose this this Mm. sample. For example, Mm. in the case of pigments, red pigments, you know the common pigments that the minerals that were used to make red pigments are um, iron oxides and cinnabar. If you just see them, you might not uh, discriminate which was. Or even in the iron oxides, you have several minerals. Goethid, ematite, limonite, and some other minerals and you cannot you cannot know which of these minerals are the one that they were using. So Raymond spectrometry tells you the precise mineral that was used to to make this pigment. So that is also very good information and you, there are two two instruments the one that you have in a lab and the one that you can take to the sites, so it's also non-destructive. It's really, really important now in in current uh, archaeological investigations.
1: Mm-hmm. That sounds. Very similar to XRF. How does it differ from a from like the portable XRF? Or are you just walking out there with a holster with one laser on one side and one on the other side and yeah. just shooting everything? <laughs> yeah,
2: that's, that's it. <laughs> well, They are complementary techniques because X-ray X-ray uh, fluorescence tells you the composition. It will tell you you have iron. You have maybe. Sulfur or the elements, but you don't know the mineral. Uh, Mm -hmm. Raymond tells you the mineral. It doesn't tell you the composition. It tells you the mineral. Okay. So they are complementary. I mean, with fluorescence, I can tell you this uh, red pigment was made of iron oxides. But I cannot tell you if it was hematite, limonite, goethite, or any other mineral. You know? Okay. Raymond mm. or even x ray refraction can tell you that information. So they are complementary.
1: Okay. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd ever heard of that one, that spectrometry. We'll have to find some information about that. All right. Well, we are just about done for today. What do you guys have coming up on the horizon here? What's, what's your next field season look like?
2: Uh, Busy as always. <laughs> <laughs> but that good. Was good. I mean, <laughs> we have uh, in the state of Chiapas, there is a project to find the remains of an old general that came or well, a Colombian general that came to Mexico and established in Chiapas. But the Colombian government wants to find him because he is a hero in that country but they do not know where is the boreal place of his remains so we are gonna try to find them that's a project for for next year we also have going the mitla area project also the chichen Itza project we are trying to make leader leader flights mm-hmm. to map all the oh, the tropical area You know, it's really difficult to Mm -hmm. walk around in these environments. So, a leader image could tell us a lot of how is the distribution of this city without having to walk around all this jungle area. Mm -hmm. So, these are Mm -hmm. two projects that that are going to be running next year. And there's always new projects. There's always new new people that come to us and ask us our help. Analyzing, uh, statistically processing the data, making an analysis. I'm also working on a raw paintings. Rupestre, uh, I don't know how you say it. All these prehistoric paintings that are made in caves. Okay. Uh, we are also oh. making some analysis in, in caves to see the pigments and um, determining the raw materials of these prehistoric paintings. It's yeah. also a project that's going on. I don't know. It, <laughs> there's always new projects <laughs> <new> <laughs> to work it.
1: All right. Well, sounds like you're keeping busy anyway.
2: Yeah, I'm more busy than I would like to, but uh, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> well thank nice. you
0: despite your busy schedule, to take some time to talk to us about this it's been really fascinating to me
2: no, no it's really great to talk to you guys so thanks you for the invitation and i hope to maybe be here some other time
0: great
1: absolutely the doors are open yeah exactly so if you or if anybody else listening ever wants to come on the show talk about any projects you're working on and just have a conversation with paul and i then hit us up at chris at archeology or you can find contact information on the show notes or the webpage page arcpodnet.com all right with that thanks paul and especially thanks denise for coming on the show
0: Thanks for listening to the Archaeotech Podcast. Links to items mentioned on the show are in the show notes at www.archpodnet.com slash Archaeotech. Contact us at chris at Network.com and paul at lugalcom Support the show by becoming a member at archpodnet.com slash members. The music is a song called Off-Road and is licensed free from Apple. Thanks for listening.